As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our roundup of Champions League Game Week 1. It was a game week where Liverpool were humiliated, Bayern Munich were elated, Juventus were ill-fated, Atletico scored a winner that was belated, Celtic made a return that was long awaited, but they were a bit deflated, and Chelsea went to Croatia and left with the manager's seat vacated. Vacated doesn't rhyme with Potter, darn it. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to discuss the continental action, a man who is the podcast embodiment of Robert Lewandowski hat-tricks. Is that right, Taylor Rockwell? I mean, I'll take it. You, you mean clinical and efficient? No, then if, that, if that's the case, then no, I am not clinical or efficient. But I am here, so there's that. Oh, you're also very, very modest, aren't you, Tay Of course, always, always. <laughs> I am the most modest, probably the most humblest, I think, is definitely what I am. Yes, yes. Well said, well said. Joining us, Tater, a man who hopefully give us a deep dive. I'm expecting at least 20 minutes on Man City sky blue shirts and maroon shorts combo. Graham Rutherford, hello. Hello. Did they did they get their shorts mixed up with West Ham's? Were they at the airport and some sort of switch happened there? And um, that's that's the explanation for why Man City were wearing those shorts. I, I need an explanation because that that was just no good, no good, Man City. Indeed. It's a very confusing time for all English people for reasons we don't have to get into today, Indeed. Graham. But uh, I think they've done that combo before. Perhaps we'll uh, bring it up again in this oh. podcast. Uh, but also here, Graham, a man who can dissect a Champions League game like a Napoli-Georgian winger can dissect a Liverpool defence, Joe Lowry. Not just once, not just twice, <laughs> over and over and over again in that game for Napoli against Liverpool. I was shocked to see Liverpool look that sluggish. And we can talk more about this later, but I'll just say this, Ryan. I am honored to be compared to Kavaradonna this early in the show. Kavaradonna, indeed. We're going straight out with the nickname. That's good. Excellent yes. stuff. He said there. we could. He said we could. Even even though I like Clint Dempsey insisting it was Kvaradinho for a while and then realizing he had it wrong halfway through CBS's coverage. That was terrific. Oh, yeah. We'll get more to the action at the stadium de Ronaldinho shortly. But uh, before we get there, um, we were talking before we came on air about which games we watched on the uh, the wonderful Paramount coverage. I did a thing which I 
said I wouldn't do again, gents. I watched the CBS Galaxo coverage both Ooh. nights. So that's the Champions League red zone um, equivalent. So I saw all the goals, but I didn't really get a great appreciation, Graham, of anything, of else. anything that actually happened in any of the games. I think it's actually quite a fair way to watch soccer. What? Yeah, why, why did you vow not to watch it that way? Because I, I tend to have, in the UK, we've got a similar thing with, with BT. It's called the Goal Show. And I'll have... I'll tend to have two games on and two screens and then I'll have the goal show on and a third screen. So I'm kind of across everything. But I feel, I know, I, I get what you're saying. You don't really get a, a sense for what's happening in the games, but there's some analysis happening as well that's filling in the gaps. So I feel yeah. like actually if you want a full picture of what's going on, it's a, it's a pretty, it's certainly well, an entertaining way to keep up with the Champions League, not, I feel. I'm not trying to take shots here. Is there actual analysis there? Because I've never watched it, but I've watched NFL Red Zone and it is almost always two guys who are barely hanging on to all of the details of what's happening yeah. and you end up getting a lot of like oh man he is running he is <laughs> running wow look at him run man, he was like, wide open wow <laughs> so who's on the Galazzo show the cbs show who, who does that because i've not actually watched that one um live uh it's nico canto right? nico canto yeah who hosts it. Right. he does a very good job and i'm not disparaging cbs or mm-hmm. paramount in any way i'm just kind of saying that so there was a period after the second half where like a zillion goals went in. So they had to zip, zip, zip over here and you had, yeah. you don't get any sense of the flow of any one game, no, I, I suppose. Absolutely, I can understand. And it's a difficult job to do that live. But in the UK, the panel on the, on the goal show is James Horncastle, Julian Larong, Raphael Honigstein and uh, James Richardson, which is a very enjoyable panel. So I, I tend to always try and catch that show live. It's, it's, it's a good way to, to get a picture of the Champions League. Who's your I favorite, feel. Graham? Who's your favorite? Uh, Honigstein's good, isn't he? He's oh, quite right. good at breaking down a game and, game and giving you the storylines. And James Richardson will always have a place Ooh. in my heart yeah. as well. Football Richardson Italia, was the correct answer, Graham. Loyal. Um, but, you know, we, I can appreciate um, people who want to tune in and hear the opinions and thoughts of four men who talk about soccer, right? Yeah? Hey, there's only, there's only one English-accented host uh, who has tongue firmly planted in cheek always that I listen to. And that man's name is Ryan Bailey. Hey! I thought you were going to do a switcheroo. Thank no, you, Tay Tay. No, Thank sir. You very much. Not today. Oh. Of all days, no switcheroos today. On that wonderful note, Taylor, why don't we go to the Stadio Ronaldinho for Napoli 4, Liverpool 1. I'm going to call it that from now on. That's a great name. Um, as I mentioned at the top, a humiliation for Liverpool here. It's one we could have predicted, to be honest. Uh, if you look at the stats, their last two visits to that stadium, they lost both of them, 2018 and 2019. Uh, they didn't quite look like the elite team here. Uh, The Guardian, Graham, called this the worst European performance of Jurgen Klopp's reign. First half, I could certainly say that is definitely the case for Mm -hmm. them. Um, So I guess my opening question for you, Graham, is how worried should Liverpool fans be right now? And bear in mind, this show is only about an hour. (laughs) Yeah, there are certainly a lot of questions for Jurgen Klopp to to answer after this performance. From the first few minutes of this match, he got the feeling that Napoli were going to produce something special. And we've spoken on the podcast about how they've been so much better than we all expected this season, given the number of key players that left over the summer. And so the question was, could they carry that into a match against one of the, the best teams in Europe on this showing Liverpool are not currently one of the best teams in Europe but nonetheless the the intensity from Napoli was incredible the high press was forcing Liverpool into mistakes and in many ways Napoli did to Liverpool what Liverpool have done to so many teams under Jurgen Klopp and pretty much every player in in blue on that pitch was incredible Anguissa was superb Zielinski scored twice and he was really influential Osman gave the Liverpool defence all sorts of problems and then you had Cavaradona with the dribbling and the runs and the movement 
movement and the intensity. What what a sensational player he is. A player that I admittedly hadn't heard of really until he moved to Napoli for 10 million euros this summer. So I think it's fair, fair to say that was a good bit of scouting. But you're right, this was a an excellent performance by Napoli, but a, a well below par performance by Liverpool. Yeah. And I found Klopp's comments after the match really interesting. So for starters, he was he was very flustered in the BT Sport interview rambling a little bit he was he was only asked about two questions and he spoke for about 10 minutes and he was struggling to come up with answers and um, because I suspect he doesn't have he didn't have any answers at that moment but one thing he said stood out and this has made headlines you've probably seen this already but he said we have to reinvent ourselves," and, and that is a direct quote from Jurgen Klopp and there was already the question about evolution at Liverpool this season after the signing of Darwin Nunes who's a different sort of forward for Klopp but if the reinvention hasn't happened or if the process hasn't started already, you have to question why isn't that happening and what has changed for Klopp to make a statement like that a month into the season? And I know Liverpool have had some injuries and that has been a factor and Thiago comes off the bench in the second half and that's one of the few positives from this game for Liverpool was he did make an impact and he was better than the midfielders that Liverpool started with. But the way that Klopp is talking, it feels like there's something bigger going on and Liverpool really need to turn a corner pretty quickly or this season could be a very difficult one for them. So, Taylor, what what was the actual issue with Liverpool on this evening? Obviously, we've we've seen some problems with their midfield in recent weeks, uh, but it didn't seem like that was the only problem area of the field. No, not at all. Uh, for people who have seen The Dark Knight Rises, it reminds me of Batman going to fight Bane for the first time in that movie and just being completely overwhelmed by a similar style. And that's basically what I saw in this game was Napoli, as Graham said, sort of doing to Liverpool what Liverpool historically have done to other teams, except, except Napoli just looked so not bothered by what Liverpool were trying to do. And the defense will justifiably get a lot of blame, Joe Gomez especially. He's out at halftime, and I think that was probably the right decision by Jurgen Klopp. It was too but late, it's, it's, if anything. <laughs> yeah. And we have seen that before. We have seen players get pulled in like the 30th minute. That might have been appropriate here uh, because Joe Gomez was sort of pulled in the first minute in certain ways. Uh, but I, I saw the, def- the defense not look very good. I saw the midfield get stretched and even the front line, I think, didn't do its job very well. In the opening minute when uh, Osimen or Oshimen, I still haven't quite figured that one out. Graham, I'm back on your sh- ship of not quite knowing how to pronounce that name. But yeah. When he hits the post in those early, like, 45 seconds in, it starts with Napoli having the ball. Roberto, Roberto Firmino goes to cut off the outlet pass and just gets completely bypassed by two touches. And then he's out. And then from there, it's the sort of domino effect of what happens when the press is bypassed. And and I think when you don't have the front line leading the press the way you need to, you don't have the midfield closing down the way they're expected to, it leaves gaps. And then when you've got really clever runners and really fast runners, or clever and fast runners, Napoli had a bunch of those, uh, I think then you get even more exposed. And it was just sort of a blitz attack that I think Liverpool couldn't really recover from. And part of the reason that I thought Liverpool struggled so much in this game, and Klopp said it after the game, somewhere in the midst of that ramble that Graham talked about earlier, he said, we weren't compact, neither defensively nor offensively, until Thiago entered the pitch. I can't remember one one counter-pressing situation. And the reason for that is we were just too wide. If you go back through and watch this game, you will see, I think maybe this is a bit of hyperbole from Jurgen Klopp, but you will not see hardly any really good counter-pressing moments. Liverpool would lose the ball. They would be far too stretched. They were not pressing in any sort of cohesive manner. And then Napoli would march right down the field and and create a really dangerous attacking chance because Joe Gomez really struggled to defend. Kavara had an incredible advantage over Trent Alexander-Arnold on Liverpool's right, Napoli's left. 
they, they were beaten as a team. They were beaten in individual moments. And for Liverpool, we just don't see that stuff. We haven't seen that stuff happen very often, partly because Liverpool have been so aggressive and dynamic with their counterpressing. That's been the hallmark of Jurgen Klopp for years and years and years now. And it just it just was not there against Napoli. Did, did Jamie Carragher, did he analyze the, the midfield issues on the CBS broadcast? Because I saw he... I saw he tweeted about the midfield after the game. So what I'm about to say about the midfield might not be terribly original if Carragher already went into it. But that, that midfield unit right now is, is a big problem for Liverpool because obviously they, they like to play a high line. They've done that for a number of seasons under Klopp. But the success of that approach is just is dependent on pressure in the midfield. And that pressure in the midfield just isn't there at the moment. Opposition teams are they're getting so much time and space in the centre of the pitch to pick passes and release players in behind. And Napoli did that over and over again. And that just puts too much strain on the high line. So when you combine that lack of pressure and then you have someone like Victor Osiman and Kavara who just gave Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez and even Virgil van Dijk. I thought Virgil van Dijk had one of his most difficult games I've ever seen him have for Liverpool. And he hasn't been in the best of form this season. He has looked vulnerable at times, but this was another level for Virgil van Dijk where he normally likes to get close to an opposition striker because he knows his physical attributes mean he he's likely to win that battle. And even if he loses that battle, he has got the recovery pace to stop uh, an opposition forward from getting in behind but against this Napoli team he had he had neither of those things he was he was getting bullied in the physical battle and then he didn't have the pace to recover against Osimhen and, and Cavara with Gomez on the right side or on the, on the Napoli left side so when you combine that with the lack of pressure in central midfield this, that made for a, a nightmare match for Liverpool and one of the, the worst matches I've ever seen them play under Jurgen Klopp Wow um, Graham what do you think about um, we've, we've heaped a lot of criticism on Liverpool, which is completely fair, but we've got to praise Napoli a little more. I know yeah. Joe gave them plenty of praise as well. But, I mean, they've started the season very well. Could this be their year? Not, I'm not talking about winning the Champions League, but, I mean, in terms of great success domestically and perhaps going deep in this competition. Well, you'd have to say on the basis of what we've seen so far, then, yeah, they're, they're going to be up there as one of the contenders for the Scudetto in, in Serie A this season. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the number of key players that they lost over the summer. So, Kalidou Koulibaly in central defence, uh, Lorenzo Insigne, Fabian Ruiz, Dries Mertens, all left Napoli over the summer. And I actually read some reports in the summer that Napoli fans were unhappy because they felt like the club had not replaced these players, but clearly Spalletti knew something that they didn't because hey, of Graham. players like Kavara and Anguissa who stepped up. Yes, yes, Taylor. They uh, they like verbally attacked Spalletti in a like fan meeting where they just went yeah. after him for like everything about the club. He had to be like, really? Why are you talking to me like this? Do you talk to your mothers like this? Like he was so <laughs> uh, he handled it really well. But yeah, they were furious, and I'm guessing are less so right now. Yeah, when when Napoli fans are unhappy, you you know about it, and <laughs> Spalletti knew about it, and I feel like Spalletti's the right sort of character, as you say, to, to, to just kind of brush that off. I think lesser managers or lesser characters might not have been able to do that. But the the players they even lost David Ospina over the summer, who I know there's some question marks against him, but he's an experienced goalkeeper nonetheless. And they brought in Cavara, they've brought in um, Kin Minje, and there's other players that were already at the club that have just taken a step up. So Zelinski being one of them. Zambo and Guisa, who obviously was was there last season and who was good for Napoli last season, has just seemingly taken another step in his development. He is a different player to the player that was at Fulham for that that short period, and it just says a lot for Spalletti and his uh, his coaching methods because this this team is very much a, a reflection of him. I I think maybe going 
um, all the way in the Champions League might still be beyond them because I don't think they've got a great deal of depth. They've got a couple of options off the bench. Obviously, Chucky Lozano comes off the bench in this game. Elmas is, is a decent enough player, but you look at the options that a team like City or Real Madrid have, I don't think they're anything up to that level. But a very entertaining team who could be in line for a great deal of success this season. Indeed. Well, uh, the group stage of Champions League is a little uh, shorter this year, about a month shorter, in fact. So the games are coming thick and fast. Next week, we've got another round of fixtures. Liverpool hosting Ajax. Napoli going to Rangers. Her boy. That one could be uh, uh, maybe another 4 0 for Rangers. They seem to be used to those at the moment, Graham. But um, we'll talk about yeah. them later. Why don't we, uh, before we go to break, let's talk about Inter Milan nil, Bayern Munich 2. Arguably the uh, the box office game of the round. Leroy Sani scoring one and forcing an own goal for the second one here. Uh, pretty good bounce back, Taylor, for Bayern from two consecutive draws domestically. Could have been an even bigger Bayern win, arguably. Yeah, I think it absolutely could have because they were dominant. There was about a 10-minute period when Inter had some shots, had some good possession uh, in the first half. That aside, it was a whole lot of Bayern. Uh, even with Joshua Kimmich shooting every single time he was within 40 yards of the goal, they still were able to keep possession uh, and basically take the game to Inter at home, no less. And it was the performance we expected from Bayern after two draws in the league. We thought maybe they would raise their game for the Champions League because that's what they tend to do, and they did just that. For Inter, however, it was real, real bad. Uh, not just on the attacking side, but the defensive side, especially in the second half. It just it seemed like they gave up. That for having as many defenders back, they had that five five man defense at times, but it was so spread and so open and so ragged that defensive line and the offside line that it was not what we've come to expect from them at all. And I would say a very worrying sign for Inter. And it's another one that has me wondering, we've seen it before where clubs have questions about ownership or about uh, the finances uh, within the club or the debt that's being accrued uh, and how they're paying that off. And it does seem like that is the situation with Inter. And I wonder if that's starting to bleed into the team because for a squad that was so harmonious not too long ago and so talented and then to add Lukaku back into it, to be playing the way they are and to have these two big losses in a row uh, makes me scratch my head a little bit. And if you're uh, if you're a fan of the Bundesliga, Bundesliga watches back on, baby, in terms of Bayern Munich's dominance. Ooh, it, it, never was, it never yep. was really off, and I, I've been trying to beat that drum. But Bayern Munich dominated this game, and Taylor pointed out some reasons why for Inter, but they're so fast. They play so cleanly in possession. It's this fluid back three shape that Nagelsmann really likes to use in this game. It was Leroy Sané, who was really the game breaker. He gets the opening goal. He consistently made runs to the outside and right behind of Inter's midfield three. He was just exploiting that space between center backs and, and sort of outside and behind that midfield group over and over again. Bayern are scary, and they could very much win this whole darn thing. And I, I can't get over that. Uh, control from Leroy Sané because it it's was so Kimmich good. who for a second I thought maybe was going to actually shoot from 50 yards out this time but instead he almost tells everybody what he needs them to do there's like a quarter second delay where he's clearly intimating I want to play this ball vertically somebody make that run Sané does just that but the chest control to take it in stride but then to continue in stride and finish so well that was just an incredible goal he gets another one Sané but the chest control dribble around the keeper uh, score was one of those moments where even if you are doing everything you can to stop Bayern, they just have that next gear that they can get to where there's not much to be done. Indeed. Graham, anything to add on this one? It seems like I was, I was kind of surprised. Uh, I wasn't surprised by Inter Milan's defending because they are quite leaky this season, but I was mm. maybe surprised they didn't find the net because they are quite prolific at the moment. I just think the lack of intensity from Inter at the moment is confusing because you cast your mind back to 
two seasons ago, and I know Antonio Conte is not Jurgen Klopp, and it's not um, it's it's not heavy metal, heavy metal football for the full ninety minutes, but nonetheless, Inter were were able to press teams into mistakes and at the moment it just feels like none of that intensity is there at the moment and it was similar to what I was talking about after the Milan derby at the weekend where Inter were just made to look very slow and part of that is down to Bayern Munich doing everything at 100 miles an hour some of the one-touch football from them in this match was sensational the way the way they can kind of bounce off each other and all rotate at, at pace is incredible but as I say it made Inter Milan look very slow and it feels like Inzaghi, the pressure is starting to build on him. I don't think it's it's anywhere close to the pressure that's on someone like Lopetegui at Sevilla. It's not a crisis club yet, but you get the feeling that two or three more bad results and it could get to that point. All right, Bayern Munich next week, by the way. They've got uh, a lovely clash with Barcelona. That one should be a lot of fun next Tuesday night. Uh, Inter maybe get some respite, Graham, with a, with a visit to Victoria Pilsen. They'll have some nice beer baths there, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Real Madrid's visit to, to, to Graham Town. Is that what I was about to call it? Glasgow. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League Game Week 1. Taylor, where are we headed next? Uh, Graham Town. Yeah, Graham Town for Celtic nil, Real Madrid 3. Pretty decent fight, Graham, from Celtic uh, on their return to Europe's top table, Mm -hmm. but ultimately outclassed. Yeah, Real Madrid got the comfortable win in the end, but I am pleased that people saw what I had been talking about with Celtic in the first half of this match. They, they were brilliant for a period of about 30 minutes. They were on top, they were playing at speed, they were pressing Real Madrid, and for a period after Callum McGregor smashed the post with a, with a shot, it kind of felt like Real Madrid were, were on the ropes a little bit, but you, you got the sense that Celtic needed to make the most of their pressure, they didn't. They didn't score, and once Real Madrid got to halftime, you got the feeling that their quality would shine through in the end, and that's what happened. Um, Karim Benzema comes off injured in this one, so that's that's a talking point because Eden Hazard comes on in his place. He actually scores a goal, only a seventh goal for Real Madrid, which kind of tells you how disappointing he's been for them. But it's fair to say he's not a number nine. So that is a, a big compromise on Real Madrid's part. And you would hope for their sake that Benzema's not out injured for any great length of time. But Vinicius and, and Luka Modric and Fede Valverde, they all took a grip of, of the game in the second half. Personally, I think 3-0 was a harsh final scoreline for Celtic, but this was a lesson for an inexperienced and, and young group. This is the way it can be in the Champions League, then the breaks when you don't make the most of your opportunities. Graham, I have a question for you. Maybe after a 3-0 loss is not the best time to ask this question, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's something I've been thinking about. Ange Postacoglu, Celtics manager for folks who don't know, mm-hmm. Australian coach, he's only ever coached in Australia and Japan, granted for City Football Group's club in Japan, and now in Scotland with Celtic getting some Champions League experience. 
I have been, every time I've watched Celtic, just incredibly impressed with him as a manager. I think he plays, and you've detailed this before, this really modern style of soccer. Do you think even sort of a showing like this or more productive showings in the Champions League group stage, if we get those from Celtic, do you think that Postacoglu will be in Scotland for a whole lot longer with an eye to maybe a move at a bigger league? Yeah, so are you referring to a job that may open up on the south coast of England at some point in the next 24 (laughs) hours? I have seen the betting odds on who Brighton's next manager might be, and Postacoglu is either the favourite or the second favourite for that Mm. job, which is not what Celtic fans want to hear at all. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he is top of that list the, the day or two days after Celtic played like this against Real Madrid. I don't know whether the bookmakers actually have any information on that. I they watched the Galazzo just... show, Graham. They didn't watch the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think they're maybe just uh, taking the temperature of what is fashionable in football right now. And and a lot of people are talking about Ange Postacoglu. But to answer your question, it would not be surprising to me to see Ange Postacoglu in the Premier League at, at some point soon. I would be surprised if he moved mid-season because I think a lot of his methods and ideas, they need like a full pre-season they need a bedding in period even though things happened very quickly for him at Celtic he did have that summer period last year with a new group and I think it would be difficult for him to go into a team mid-season but having said that Brighton are probably as suited to him as any team in world football to be honest besides someone like Manchester City so I could see that move maybe maybe working but I I want him to stay I want to see what this Celtic team can do in the rest of this Champions League group stage because I don't think it's out of the question that they maybe scrape that second place Graham no surely surely it has to be that Postacoglu goes to Leicester to keep the tradition of Leicester stealing from Celtic for their managers (laughs) this is my question Ryan thank you for that I was going to ask if if we were going to have them uh, continuing in that trajectory Graham who do you think does better, Postacoglu uh, following Brendan Rodgers to Leicester or Giovan Bronkhorst replacing Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa? Um, I would definitely say Postacoglu because I, I think Van Bronkhorst is facing some questions at Rangers right now. Oh, really? He might not even be at Rangers for that much longer. So, yes, happen? definitely Postacoglu. <laughs> Uh, Taylor, to talk a little bit about Real Madrid, they were mm. pretty darn good. It was lovely to see Nazar doing Eden Nazar things once again. Vinicius, as we've mentioned, was excellent. And many in the middle... It just it only just hit me this week that they sold Casemiro and they got mm-hmm. in a younger replacement who's possibly you know a big upgrade. I'm not going to I'm not to disparage Casemiro, but he's a lot older and he was basically the same price. They done good business there. Uh, yeah, and already had Chuomeni in. It wasn't like they had to get him in and then they could sell Casemiro. So that made it even more sort of ridiculous in the moment of them having to feign like, I don't know, like we need this guy <laughs> even though we don't at all. But sure, 80 million? That should get the job done. And yeah, they, they looked just fine. As Graham said, I think Celtic did make it difficult. I think that was a thing that we expected, uh, especially with the Champions League starting off. You can always get surprise results. And and I think it was there, uh, that the post being hit. And then is it Meta, uh, Graham? Who uh, yeah, Maeda, him. yeah. Maeda, who then has that, he gets the ball in. It's not really a miss. He scuffs his shot. But that felt to me like this moment where if he puts that in or makes the keeper make a save, the, the crowd stays up for it. And it had that feeling of that was our chance and we let it go. And from there, I think maybe that was the wake-up call Real Madrid needed because it became the Madrid show. And I think they weathered the Benzema injury. We hope he's not out for too long, but they're able to figure some things out. And culminating in Aiden Hazard scoring a goal, not what I expected. His seventh goal, did you say, Graham? Seven, yeah. And I think, what is it, three seasons? Or maybe it might even be four seasons, but it's it's not a great record for him. 
It is not, but it was in the 77th minute. So now I'm smelling a conspiracy of some kind. So I think for Madrid, <laughs> that conspiracy Illuminati have, have to be happy with their 777 slash 3 0 win. I think the, dis- the big disappointment for Celtic, or one of the big disappointments for Celtic at the moment, is that Kyogo is out injured. He actually comes on for the last 50 minutes of this game. I don't think he was fit enough to come on for that game. I think that was a little bit of desperation from Celtic. But for me, he's probably Celtic's best player. And if you put him as the number nine in that team, I, j- I just wonder if he takes an opportunity, if he takes that, that Maeda chance, which was quite difficult. It's kind of smashed at him um, from the, the right side. But I, I hope, I, I was hopeful that people would see what Celtic are all about. I think people saw that in the first game. I'm now hopeful that you see just how good Kyogo is, if he can get up to full fitness. So hopefully for Celtic, he's back for the next game. Uh, Celtic's next game uh, in this competition is at Shakhtar Donetsk. Well, more specifically, it's in Poland, where they are currently playing. Uh, Real Madrid are hosting Ebi Leipzig next Wednesday as well. Let's turn our attention to the Parc de France, where we had PSG scoring two goals to Juventus's one. That one being scored by Mr. Weston McKennie and Kylian Mbappe scoring a lovely opening. He got a oh brace, my. but the opening goal, Joe, goodness me. It's it's just the ultimate we're better than you goal. It is the <laughs> ultimate like I I can't even put into words the feeling that you get when you watch it and the feeling it must have been to see as a Juventus player the ball hit the back of the net and just think yeah we're not winning this game. PSG <laughs> have so much incredible attacking talent. So the goal is PSG in the final third. Mbappe's on the ball. He passes it to Neymar, who then chips it over the top to Mbappe, who scores with this first-time finish. It's like in American football when you do sort of an over-the-shoulder catch where you're having to look back and track the ball as it comes over you. Mbappe did that, but he can't use his hands. He had to track it all the way down and connect cleanly with his foot for the first time. It is, it's an absurd finish, and the pass is absolutely unreal as well. You go and watch the celebration, and Marco Verratti is just shook. I, at first, I couldn't tell if something else was happening with him. He kind of has his head in his hands during the celebration. I didn't know if maybe he was hurt or I didn't know what was going on. Maybe he was tired. But then later on, you see him sort of like hugging other PSG players with still that look of disbelief on his face. And that is very much how I felt watching this goal. It was in some ways emblematic of PSG's approach because we did still see some cracks in this foundation, right? We still see them not really defending, not really uh, playing out of a cohesive defensive block. Instead, the front three just kind of do their own thing. And that causes problems. It didn't cause a ton of problems against Juventus, who didn't create you know a, a crazy amount of chances. They did have some success overloading Juventus's right side, PSG's left side, with Juan Cuadrado up on that side. And Weston McKinney does get his goal off of Juve's corner kick routine, which is a really nice finish after he came on for the second half. Some some things to like here for Juventus. I can't shake the feeling that they need some more attacking seasoning and that better teams might be able to find ways through PSG. But man, watching the Mbappe show for a while in this first half was yeah. <laughs> it was pretty darn good. There are moments when it just all clicks for PSG and you think, wow, Gautier has has cracked it. But there was a moment, and Joe, you mentioned the cracks in the foundation. There was also a moment that showed, not just from a tactical point of view, but in terms of the characters within that dressing room, there was a moment that, that demonstrated how the whole thing could still come crashing down this season. It comes when uh, Mbappe's released in behind and it's so obvious that the right play is to pass the ball across the six-yard box for Neymar to, to finish at the, bo- the back post. He's completely free and Mbappe just completely ignores him and slices it wide from a, a tight angle and then doesn't even look at Neymar as 
Neymar is telling him what he thinks. And of course, there've been re- there's there's been reports of Mbappe making unreasonable demands now that he has that extra power at PSG due to that new contract. And one suggestion is that he has asked for Neymar to be sold by PSG. Um, so even though Gartier might have found a system that works for Mbappe, Messi, and, and Neymar, the the personalities there's still there's still a question whether that might compromise the whole thing. So Graham, what you're saying is things have really clicked at PSG, but they might unclick very quickly. It's really quick, but they all hate each other still is basically <laughs> the issue. It does Wonderful. seem that way, right? That that Hakimi moment really did stand out of Mbappe just being sort of ruthless in telling him the pass isn't good enough or an apology isn't good enough, make the pass. It just, yeah, it seems like it could go really, really well, and that could be a team that uh, rides their individual talents to collective heights, or it could be a team that implodes. And to Joe's point, that the goal from Juve in the second half did seem sort of like par for the course for PSG in certain ways. Uh, we start really magically. We have these amazing goals. We have all this talent. Ah, we can take our foot off the gas. Oh, they've scored. And that doesn't hurt them here. It might hurt them in the long run. But as we've said, PSG have the depth, I think, and the kind of squad depth, the role players that they've needed uh, for so long that I think they will still be just fine through the group stage, at least. Maybe the knockout rounds is where chickens come home to roost. Joe, if I remember correctly, in our Champions League preview, you were pretty hot on PSG. You still feeling hot? Oh, I'm I'm still feeling hot. It just is it is very polarizing with this team. They could be on on one end of the spectrum, they could be on the other. On a good day for PSG, they have more attacking talent than anyone in the world and you can ride that a long way in a knockout competition where that's sort of what it takes. But at the same time, lapses in their defensive structure could cause them problems. But with the talent they have, based on on players and, and based on paper and how good they've been in Liga this year and, and really how good they were for stretches of this game, they're still 100% in my group of favorites for this competition. Excellent stuff. Any more on this game, Tay-Tay, before we move on? Nope. Just enjoyed it immensely. I'm very happy that Weston McKinney scored a goal uh, and then was uh, put back into his bubble wrap so that Joe didn't freak out. <laughs> America. <laughs> America. I thought uh, Marco Verratti was really good in this game. I have to highlight him. He seemed to be everywhere in this match. 131 touches, which was the most of any PSG player. 96 pass accuracy. Uh, what other stats have I got here? Six out of six tackles one, two out of two dribbles completed. So I think bet- between Verratti and Vicinha, that the energy that PSG have in the midfield of the pitch and the ground that they can cover, that is that makes a big difference. And it was a notable advantage in this match against Juventus, where that midfield unit has Faced a lot of scrutiny under Allegri recently. Yeah. Ferretti was just the 7.7 rating on who scored, Graham. That surprising. That doesn't quite sit with your stats there. Uh, don't believe everything you read on the internet, Ryan Bailey. Very, very true. Very true indeed, Graham. Well, I'm reading on the internet uh, for next week's fixtures. PSG are going to be visiting Maccabee Haifa. And who are Jim Ventus hosting? Benfica. So um, some less uh, salubrious. Salubrious? I don't know what I'm saying. They've got games next week. Let's move on to... Um, uh, quickly, I want to mention um, Chelsea's visit to Dimeno Zagreb, the game that cost uh, their manager his job, Thomas Tuchel, of course. Uh, we have just learned moments ago, as we were recording, that Graham Potter has been confirmed as a new Chelsea manager. Um, this was, Taylor, not a good performance. It seemed like... Um, the defenders at the very least had given up on Thomas Tuchel in this game um, Zagreb had won only five of their 43 Champions League games before this one it seemed like if there was going to be a catalyst for Tuchel to go this kind of performance was it 
Agreed, and that's fully what I thought until I was listening to a podcast today with a Chelsea beat writer who said that the decision had been made before this game. Now, maybe that is them covering some things, but if that's the case, you then wonder, like, maybe news was out. Maybe the feeling was there. Maybe the squad wasn't exactly motivated for this one. Uh, Regardless if it was the decision made before or after, uh, you understand at least in terms of results, why that decision happened, because that was about as unmotivated and rudderless as I've seen from Chelsea, and it's a team that we're going to talk about a lot more in this week's big thing, but it's a team that spent so much money, but there's so many problems behind the scenes. I don't think Tuchel is necessarily the issue. He might be a issue, but I think there's other things going on, but he is definitely the one who has to make way because there's been so much money spent, but there aren't Really, there really isn't anybody else who could take the blame because all the front office has left. It's basically Todd Bowley and Todd Bowley Associates and then Thomas Tuchel and the team. So Thomas Tuchel goes out uh, and Dino Mozagreb celebrate not necessarily his sacking, but probably more so three points and a win. Indeed. Uh, Chelsea hosting Ebby Salzburg next week. They've got Fulham, I believe, at the weekend. Well, we don't. Uh, as we recall, we don't know if there's actually going to be fixtures this weekend for various political reasons. But Graham... Um, it seems like Graham Potter's got a lot on his hands here. Oh, indeed. And I think we're going to cover a lot of those things in depth in, in, in the Big Thing episode. But I have I have questions over that fit. I, I, it feels like Graham Potter is, is certainly capable of doing a job at a Big Six club in the Premier League. But of all those Big Six clubs, I think Chelsea is the, the one that seems like the least best fit for him for all the reasons that Taylor mentioned there, the fact that there isn't really a sporting department at that club right now. And, and Graham Potter, for all that he's a, a brilliant coach, he has relied on the strength of Brighton's sporting department over the last two to three years. So he's he's got a big job on his hands. I, I'm personally disappointed that he's we're not going to see just what the ceiling was for this Brighton team. And also for Billy Gilmore, it seems like Chelsea are, uh, are screwing the Scotland national team through the, the medium of Billy Gilmore who left Chelsea on transfer deadline day to work with Graham Potter and has now uh, now finds himself without Graham Potter at the club he's just joined. That's so, the true so good for Billy Gilmore. That is the true that is crime in all of this. Yeah. How is yeah. it that when Ryan finds a way to shoehorn Wimbledon into every single conversation we tease him and yet Graham will find a way to shoehorn in the Scotland national team or Billy Gilmore specifically and yet it's just endearing. We love yeah. you Graham. Says more about you Taylor I think. Says more about you. <laughs> 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 Love you, All right. Ryan. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we are uh, going to cover Chelsea and the situation with Thomas Tuchel and Graham Potter on our Big Thing episode coming soon to the feed, if not already. Uh, but for now, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Spurs' game. We're going to talk about Shakhtar Donetsk having a great victory, uh, Rangers having a not-so-great game, and much, much more coming after this. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. 
Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to the Tottenham Stadium, where Spurs got a 2-0 win over Marseille. Richarlison's first goals for Spurs here. We've got a brace here. It was nice. Taylor, did you catch um, him sort of in tears with his family in the stands at the end? It was very endearing. It really was. And it was it was two uh, clutch goals from him later in the game, 76th and 81st minutes for him. Uh, two big headers he does really well to kind of track the ball in traffic to get some spacing and to make sure the ball gets in the back of the net twice. I do want to give a shout to Kulisevsky, who, if you watch that first goal, he recognizes, oh, this is probably going to be a wide-open header, especially if I make a very, very smart little run. And he sprints in to screen Kolasinac so that he can't make a play on Richarlison. He can't close that gap. It's one of the reasons why Richarlison is so wide open. So I think some good team play there, some good awareness from the individuals, and then two good goals from Richarlison. I'm leading with the positives to then say, but you all have sort of reminded me that Antonio Conte is not always as successful in the Champions League or more specifically is not successful in the Champions League as a manager. And and I think we saw a little bit of why that is the case in this game. Tottenham fans, I apologize for sullying a 2-0 win, but it's a 2-0 win in which in that first half, it's pretty open. I would say, if anything, Marseille had... Not the better chances, but more chances. Uh, Ganduzi was shooting similar to uh, Kimmich from anywhere he could. But in that second half, once Mbemba gets sent off, then I think things sort of balance out. And that is when uh, Tottenham are able to sort of ta- put on more attackers. I think Kulisevsky comes in and plays right wing back, theoretically. And I think that's when Tottenham are able to get more of the ball, be more ball dominant, but then get those goals. And I wonder if they didn't get that red, how things would have played out. And it is... Just that that moment that makes me wonder when you come up against a better team that can uh, possess more, that can find those open spaces just that much quicker. If it's a Napoli team, let's say, do Napoli cause Tottenham bigger problems? I'm not sure, but I think it's going to be a pretty fascinating thing to keep an eye on because it's a very good Spurs team, a very disciplined and well-coached Spurs team, but there are still those vulnerabilities there. Similar to PSG, the same conversation we had, maybe with less money behind it, but still similar issues and strengths. What do you call Richarlison's parents? Richarla dad and Richarla mum. There it is. Thank you, Graham. I th- not, what about Richarla parents on the whole? <laughs> yeah, a collective name. Yeah, yep. Richarla parents. <laughs> that was. I'm. I'm stunned. That was great. We can stop right now. I think everybody. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, Graham, what's your perspective on this game? Uh, besides uh, your uh, observations on parental naming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Taylor pretty much nailed it there. The, the scoreline doesn't quite tell the the full story of this match. I was actually I was I was working this match, so I watched the the full thing. In that first half, Marseille were um, certainly in control of possession. It felt like Tottenham were going to have to change things up. They didn't really in the end because of that sending off and Bemba getting sent off. Um, taking down Son as he races through. Son actually had another poor game. That's a bit of a concern for Spurs. At the moment, but uh, they they get the win. They're off to a winning start. Uh, but they'll need to they'll need to play better than this in, in this competition if they want to go far. I think they can get out of this group playing this way. I think Marseille are actually stronger than most people give them credit for at the moment. But if they want to actually have a chance of, of winning it, which against I guess is the aim for Tottenham at the moment with one of the, the world's best managers, they're they're going to have to lift their level. Yeah, uh, Marseille uh, giving away a pretty silly red card as well for a last man offence. Uh, I believe that last man offence on. Hongmin dad and Hongmin 
mum's <laughs> child, Graham. Yeah, like that? Indeed, yeah. yeah. All right. Well played. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, Dortmund 3, Copenhagen nil. Tate, what'd you make of that one? I made that Girena came on and got to assists and all yeah, is did. right with the with the American world now uh, because seeing him sub on was seeing him on the bench was like nice already okay good he's still in the squad he, they're kind of bringing him back slowly and then Torgan Hazard gets the injury in comes Reyna and looked really good I thought looked really technical looked, looked really precise looked really clean and did not come up with a hamstring injury which is the number one thing we were hoping for but then two assists on top two very similar assists which has me thinking that that's a thing that Dortmund have been working on but you, you, you find the passes you can you disguise the pass as well as he did it ends up in two goals so well done to Gio Reyna hooray America mm. time for the carbonite time for the yep. carbonite lock him up <laughs> <laughs> Man City hosting Dortmund next week Graham that should be fun for several reasons shouldn't it uh, not so fun for Dortmund, I suspect, the way Manchester City are going. I wonder how many goals uh, the, the Frankenstein's monster that they've that City have got up front this season will, will score in that one. Indeed. Why don't we talk about Man City then, uh, wearing their maroon shorts, as we established. Uh, a 4-0 win for them at Sevilla. Uh, Lopetegui's men not doing very well this season at all. I believe they're winless in the league as well. Uh, a Haaland brace here, Foden, Rumadiash with the other two goals. That's just the nine goals in five games, Graham, for Erling Haaland. Yeah, he settled in well. Remember all those questions about whether he would uh, whether he would settle in well with Manchester City. There are still justifiable questions about his role in build up play, but when City can play, City are still playing their their normal game. It's just they're able to do it essentially with one player not being as vol- involved as, as as often. And then when they create an opportunity, Haaland is there, and I've never seen a player in my life who scores so many goals into empty nets from six yards out or even yeah. or even less than six yards out. And I don't think that's down to luck. I think that's down to good movement and just having the the instinct of knowing where an opportunity is 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 going to arrive. Um and and this match panned out exactly as I as I thought it would. Man City looked to be in a good place right now where they're doing all their usual Man City's things, but now with a with a, a goal bot up front. And Sevilla are not in a good place right now as you referenced, Ryan, that this will only increase the pressure on Lopetegui. I don't think he's got long left in that job. I think a defeat or even a draw at Espanyol this weekend, and I reckon Sevilla might have a new manager, maybe a caretaker manager, but a new manager nonetheless for match day two next week. And I love the first goal from Holland in this game <clears throat> against Sevilla. Excuse me. It's in the 20th minute and City are building down their right side and Kinsella plays it to Foden and Foden plays it into that main city zone for Kevin De Bruyne, that outside corridor of the box. And Holland is just lurking. He's just waiting. And he sees, Graham, to your point, he sees what's happening before everyone else does. And he's fast enough and his legs are so long that he creates separation so quickly. And then he just one touches the ball with his left foot, I believe, into the back of the net. And it's 1-0. And, and the reaction from Sevilla's defenders, I think, tells you everything. Like, it is so expected. They are frustrated, but also just con- consigned to, resigned, excuse me, to exactly what's going on around them. That's what Erling Haaland does. He beats you to those moments. He sees space before you do. And then even if he sees it after you do, he can still get there because he's a robot. <laughs> he's the Man City zone, by the way, Joe. Is that like by the byline or near to the box? To be yeah, so it's imagine, you know, you, you just chop off outside the goal on either side of the box, those little strips. Those are the Man City zones, maybe just outside the box, but it's it's called that because Pep Guardiola really prioritizes attacking into those spaces for cutbacks, mm. like you see something very similar on this goal for Erling Holland. 
Indeed. The Man City goal, the cutback to someone to tap in from the yep. six-yard box. Wonderful stuff. Uh, I can't be the first one to point out that Haaland has big Targaryen energy, by the way. I could imagine oh, him... Oh, he does, doesn't he? Dodging the arrows, running into a battle, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. he has the footballing Matt Smith. He is, I think if they did a flashback and you needed a younger Matt Smith, Haaland would be all over that, frankly. <laughs> we'll see if that comes up in the in the show. Uh, in the meantime, RB Leipzig won Shakhtar Donetsk. Four, a uh, big victory for Shakhtar Donetsk here, who, as I say, uh, play their home games in Poland. This one was uh, not in Poland. It was in East Germany, of course. Uh, but they've not played at home since 2014. They lost a lot of key players, did Shakhtar, uh, when FIFA ruled that foreign players in Ukraine could suspend their contracts following the illegal Russian invasion. So they lost a lot in transfer fees. They've lost a lot in general, mm-hmm. of course. So, Graham, it's pretty wonderful to see them uh, get a win like this. And they're unbeaten in domestically since it restarted last month, too. Yeah, an incredible story. It was always likely that Shakhtar, no matter what happened in the Champions League for them this season, that it was going to be an incredible story. Marian Schwed, I think he scores twice. He's a player who was at Celtic and who who did very little at Celtic. So a player that I, I am slightly familiar with, but when I look through the rest of their team, it's, it's players, it's homegrown players, as you say, who are maybe not accustomed to playing at this level. So Going to RB Leipzig, who I know are in a, a difficult moment right now. They've had a poor start to the season. Obviously, this result prompts them to fire their, their manager, uh, Domenico Tedesco. But nonetheless, to go to a team with that level of, of talent and to um, thump them, essentially, in the way that they did, I know they get a helping hand for that first goal from Peter Galashi, who... who uh, has an absolute howler uh, giving the ball away at, at almost on the halfway line for that first goal but nonetheless an incredible result for Shakhtar and an incredible story absolutely Ajax 4 Rangers nil, an aggregate 7-0 loss for Glasgow uh, on this week on this Ouch. game week yeah not so hot not so hot and Rangers a uh, second 4-0 loss this week too Graham I'll, I'm going to come to Joe to give some uh, love to Ajax but the, the Rangers reaction first yeah, this was a, a nightmare of a performance from Rangers, who were, were very poor. Unlike the Celtic game, Rangers deserved the final scoreline that they got in, in this match. Ajax were just basically all over them from the start. There was no intensity from Rangers. I mentioned in their Champions League preview that Rangers wouldn't be blown away in the Champions League this season because they are experienced in European football. They made the Europa League final Last season, they beat PSV, a a decent team away from home, to qualify for this season's Champions League. And their hallmark so far in European football has been compact, keep it tight, give themselves a chance on the counter-attack. We just didn't see any of that in this game. And that comes on the back of a 4-0 defeat in the Old Farm Derby. They say about Rangers and Celtic that you're only ever two defeats away from a crisis. And it feels like Rangers are, are in a crisis right now. And Van Bronckhorst needs a result this weekend or the pressure really will start to heap on him um, as for Ajax I don't want to steal Joe's thunder but they're they're going to be fine yeah. I think there was a lot there's a lot of questions about how they're going to perform this season given just how many players and of course their manager that left over the summer but they have a number of very talented players Berghaus was great in this game Bergvine was very good in this game Kudus who was playing as a, a centre forward of sorts he scores a, a great finish in this in this game and he was very good so I, I liked what I saw of Ajax and while they might not be as strong as, as Ten Hag's team was last season I still think they're going to make a good impression in this competition Let's run through the list, shall we, everyone? So Eric Ten Hag, gone to Manchester United. Sporting director for Ajax, gone for very different reasons. In terms of players, Ryan Gravenberg, Sebastian Hilaire, Maserawi, Lissandro Martinez, Anthony, Nico Tagliofico, and Andre Onana. That's seven players who were regular starters for them last year and key players for an Ajax team that was just incredibly fun until they got bounced 
in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. This team lost a ton, and yet they are still incredibly fun to watch. They had 75% possession against Rangers, who just folded underneath that pressure. Uh, Rangers only had, what, four shots in this game, and, and two of them were from outside the box. Ajax had 17 shots, two expected goals. They overperformed that by a, a pretty large amount here. But you could see them dominate the game. You could see them still playing very much the classic Dutch Ajax high possession, dominant pressing kind of game. This team is is very, very good. I'm excited to see them against stiffer competition as the Champions League progresses. But man, they are they are super fun right now. Indeed. Let's whip through the remainder of the games. Let's head back to Spain for Barcelona 5. Victoria Pilsen won Barcelona, of course, top of Group C with that result after one game. Robert Lewandowski with the aforementioned hat-trick in this one. The finish for, I think it was the hat-trick goal, the third goal. Like a, I want to call it, Graham, a tap-in from distance, like a one-touch from the edge of the box. It was Messi-esque. It was glorious. It was Messi-esque, actually. I hadn't hadn't thought of that. Obviously, Messi tends to do that with his with his left foot rather rather than his right, but very much the same sort of form and the way that he guided that into the back of the net from outside the box, kind of like a pass, and most players would have just lashed at that. Lewandowski, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because he's one of the best players in the world and one of the best number nines the game has ever seen, but he has settled in so quickly at Barcelona. You sign him and he will score you goals, his first Champions League hat-trick. For Barcelona, I suspect, I suspect it won't be his last. I think I'm also right in saying that he, with this, that with these uh, three goals, he leapfrogged Karim Benzema into third place in the Champions League all-time top scorers list. So he's he's probably got his sights set on on climbing a little bit higher in in that list um, over the next few seasons. Barcelona are are, are as Joe. Uh, keeps uh, going on about he's a he's a fully signed up socio at this point but they are very fun to watch at the moment and and they will face better teams in this competition but this match coupled with the Bayern Munich at the San Siro just got me really excited about next week next week's match between Bayern and, and Barca that has the potential to be one of the the best matches of of the whole competition I think yeah everyone Lewandowski keeps derby. everyone keeps talking about it, you know how how cool it is to support Barcelona how great it is to be a socio um, PK's come to my house four times in the last week asking for money. It is, it's not everything it's chalked up to be. Let's just put it that way. Is, is the Balloon World Cup in trouble? It, I guess so. I can't imagine how that would ever be the case. But actually, those that legitimately was fun to watch, but still. I'm now picturing PK coming to your door, like breathing in helium from a balloon and doing a speech in a high-pitched voice for some reason. Yes, in Catalan as well. So that goes over really well for me. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Atletico Madrid 2, Porto 1. A stoppage time goal from Antoine Griezmann here. A nice header from a corner in the 101st minute, um, yeah. getting the win over Porto. A 10 man Porto. Graham, is it even worth watching Atleti before the 90th minute? On, th- on this basis, no, because stoppage time was absolutely wild. I'm just going to run through things in a little bit more depth because it was one of the, the wildest stoppage time periods I've, I've ever seen in any match. So Taremi, is, he's given a second yellow card for diving eight minutes from the end. So there was that and Atleti had a man advantage. They score what looks like the winner through Hermoso in the 91st minute. Then Hermoso gives away a penalty three minutes later and Porto equalise. Then the one in the one hundredth minute, as you say, Griezmann gets the winner. That's the same Griezmann who actually can't start matches for Atletico Madrid at the moment because of because of a clause in his loan agreement from Barcelona. And I was wondering, there there was there was ten minutes of stoppage time in this game, and Griezmann came on at sixty minutes, as tends to be the case in every match now. If that had if that match had gone to fifteen minutes of stoppage time, would that count as the forty five minutes Barca needs him to play to make this loan deal permanent? <laughs> so would Simeone 
Tony need to take him off in a match if, if a match ever got to 104 minutes? Because if, if that's the case, I definitely want to see that at some point this season. Don't know, Graham, but good question. <laughs> <laughs> Very good stuff. Um, Club Bruges won Leverkusen nil. Uh, Bruges uh, level with Atleti in Group B after that one. Eintracht Frankfurt in their first Champions League era game. Uh, didn't quite go to plan for them, losing 3-0 at home to Sporting. No. A goal and an assist here for London-born Marcus Edwards. The BBC yeah. said he was compared, Graham, to Messi as a teenager. Uh, the same Messi that didn't get into the Tottenham team. Yeah, maybe going slightly far there i think there's i think there's thousands of teenagers that get called mess ryan gold was called mini messy in scotland for for a there's couple of seasons time, but there's still time there is still time there is still time joe that you're right about that let's not count ryan gold out just yet <laughs> but um marcus edwards yeah very very impressive in this game not so impressive for mine frankfurt and match they won wasn't a very good advert for last season europa league final with both uh <laughs> frankfurt and rangers suffering heavy defeats but i want to highlight the the sporting uh, club de portugal manager ruben amarin because he's got uh, sporting sorry playing some incredible football and taylor i saw you tweeting from the tss account yesterday about managers who should be but won't be considered for the chelsea job as we know graham potter has now got that job so there's no chance of this happening but Am- amarin is 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 one of them the, the job that he's done the football that he's got sporting player playing the the youngsters that he's bringing through in that team as well so i'd very much like to see him i mean i don't want to take him away from from sporting because obviously they're a big club and they're playing in the champions league but i don't watch much portuguese football so from a selfish point of view i would like to see him in one of the big five leagues to see what he could do there very cool. Salzburg 1, Milan 1, and the other game we have not covered, Benfica 2, Maccabee Haifa. No, there was a very good goal in that one, if you seek it out. I saw it on CBS Galazzo. Was that by Grimaldo? Grimaldo's oh, goal, Grimaldo. yeah. It was an absolute yeah, cracker. Yeah, it's good. Which the is... depth that he gets on it is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, a lovely... Lovely effort, Graham. A lovely effort. We saw many of those this week, uh, this game week. Uh, that was probably the best. Uh, Taylor, to round up this Champions League game week one conversation, let's turn our attention to the US Open Cup final. Mm-hmm. It would be remiss if we didn't mention it. The 107th edition taking place on Wednesday evening. The competition, of course, coming back after a two-year hiatus. Orlando City 3, Sacramento Republic nil. Uh, Sacramento, at the very least, deserve a pat on the back for their incredible run in this competition. Absolutely. And it was, I realize now in doing our preview for that game, it was entirely Sacramento focused. So uh, apologies to Orlando City fans, but I'm guessing they don't care because they got that 3-0 win. Uh, and the opener from Facundo Torres, a really, really well taken shot to the top corner. That's how you want to get the lead in the cup final. They go on and get two more, a brace from Torres and uh, a final goal from Benji Michel. Uh, but I, I found this one Interesting to watch because of that uh, difference in an MLS team versus a USL side. The USL side on the road had, I think, 500 or so fans there. But the rain, I think, helped make it more atmospheric, also helped it be a little bit of a sloppier game. But I think you're always going to get that in a cup final when there's so much on the line. And it felt like it was always possible that Sacramento could make something happen. But I think Orlando 
if not controlled the game, then at the very least, I think we're the more comfortable of the two sides. And then as the game went on, you could just see the fatigue catching up to the Republic. Uh, But I I was, with all that said, I was frustrated by a couple things, namely that you could not watch this game outside of North America, uh, said many people in England who had an interest in seeing what was going on. But I think also when it's this cup that people are supposed to care about and we talk about the history, Joe talked about it the other day, to not have it be a thing that people can watch, to not make it be truly a spectacle I think does a disservice to the competition and to the teams that are involved, but then also to have MLS games kicking off at the same time and other games happening. Yeah. It just really watered down what should have been this this centerpiece event, this big game. It's back. It's the U.S. Open Cup. I think you could put so much more effort into it and make it so interesting, and especially with it being an MLS team who doesn't get a ton of love versus a USL side that definitely doesn't get a ton of love in terms of like mainstream coverage. There, there was such an opportunity there. It's like an FA Cup final when like Wigan are contesting it or something along those lines or uh, Pompey way back when. Uh, but instead, I think we, we sort of we didn't get maybe the, the full coverage we would have liked, but we did get uh, an engrossing game with a with a dominant performance in the end from Orlando City. So credit to them and credit to the Republic for making it as far as they did. And and credit as well to ESPN in terms of the actual ESPN Plus production, which I thought was really good. It was 12 men and champion on the broadcast. They had, you know, Jordan Angeli in Sacramento covering the the watch party there and, and doing some hits from there. And then Tyler Terrence and Devin Kerr doing, you know, live stuff from Orlando as well. I believe Hurt Gomez and Sebi Zalazar were there too. So, I mean, they, they put a lot of resources into it, but it is, Taylor, to your point, frustrating that this was only available on ESPN+, Plus, only available in very specific regions. And, and then there's just deeper, sort of more systemic problems with how the U.S. Open Cup is treated and, and perceived, at least from my, my perception, is that there's no money in this competition. Because if there was, the branding would be way better yeah. and a lot of other things would be better. There's, there's problems here, and it's sad to see sort of things fizzle out in the end. But Sacramento certainly deserve credit for, for making it this far. And I thought they had some really good moments in this game. John Morrissey wrote an excellent piece for Backheeled covering this game and diving into the analysis, which you really won't see anywhere else. Orlando, credit to them as well. Like this is their first major trophy in club history. They, I think, were very deserved winners. At the end of the day, they were the better team in this game last night. It is just still sort of hard to look past some of the deeper issues in this competition. But yeah. either way, Congrats to Orlando for winning. Congrats to Sacramento for for making history, really, and becoming the first lower division team in almost 15 years to make it to the U.S. Open Cup final. If nothing else, it did remind me slash blow my mind that the Champions League final used to be on like a Wednesday evening. They used to do that, too, before moving it to uh, to a Saturday, which makes... Far more sense. I, I I think like Wednesday night, 8 p.m., you've got a bunch going on, but watch the U.S. Open Cup final. It doesn't quite have that billing of maybe prime time on a weekend, but such is life when it comes to the U.S. Open Cup. Such is life indeed. Has anyone ever been to Sacramento, by the way? No, sir. Mm, no, I don't think so. Oh, I don't know much about inland California, but I imagine it's quite nice. It's where the Deftones are from. That's the only one <laughs> thing I know about it, apart from the Republic. But uh, anyway, I digress. Let's uh, wrap it's this It's the one. capital of... Your heart? Of, of California, man. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's uh, wrap this one up. Our Champions League you, plus. Are you, did you think it was Los Angeles? You thought it was Los Angeles, didn't you? I thought Ryan, it was the American Daily knows exactly the capital of California. <laughs> Ottawa, Canberra, Sacramento, the ones you never remember. Is that it? <laughs> What's go. the capital of New York, Ryan? Can you get that one? Albany. Hey! Hey, I know some stuff. I know some stuff. Thank you very much. Well done. And on that note, let's wrap it up. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your impromptu quiz and all else. Hey, thank you for passing it, my friend. (laughs) Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. And Graham Rutherford, thank you, sir.
Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, we'll be back on the feed very shortly with a big thing Chelsea special. But for now, bye! Bye!